My wife Vicki was diagnosed with ovarian cancer in April 2014 and uh, had surgery at that point and went through nine months of chemo. And uh, in February of 2015, she was uh, claimed as cancer-free. And uh, then 15 months later, they went in for surgery and uh, there was nothing she could do. The tumor had encapsulated her intestines. So within 90 days, by the end of July, she had went to be with the Lord. And so, uh, you know, you look to God, what's the next step? And, you know, of course, we were devastated. Uh, our emotions were running wild. You know, how do you bring all that to bear? And uh, at the same time, uh, try to figure out what God's purpose is for you going forward. We didn't know what to do. Um, and so we went to Grief Share and um, it was just a safe place to be able to share and to cry and to just voice our emotions because we didn't know what we were processing or um, the emotions we were going through. We wanted to do that as a family because uh, we knew we needed to move forward, and, and but we didn't know how. You know, yeah. by God's grace, we'll move forward, and only allowing God's grace to work in our life would we be able to move forward. Even through the difficult times, it was it was wonderful to to see um, familiar faces um, each week, to be able to talk to people who were devastated just like we were, and we could share our tough feelings, our our devastation, our sorrows but also at the same time encourage each other. Um, it was just wonderful, it was a wonderful blessing. Care is a place where people can come and they can seek God in the midst of their circumstances. When they, when they come out, like say to one of our groups and classes on a Monday night, they're expecting God to show up. Like they're coming here because they need hope and I truly believe that they see that here each and every week. So much of what we do here is equipping people to experience the fullness, the freedom that God calls us to have. Whether it's learning how to understand, seek understanding, or learning to um, handle conflict in a more effective way. You know, there, there are so many great resources and ways in which we can help you. Life is a journey. There are gonna be ups and downs, you know, and we're there for you, care's there for you.
Whenever I think about the world as it should be, there's always one word that comes to mind as vital, as something that should be an essential part of the world when it's working right. And the word is the one we're focusing on this weekend, peace. If you think about it, if, if the world is working right, I mean, all the pieces and parts of the world were working right. Right there at the center would be peace. You, you couldn't help it because the world was working right. If our relationships are working right, then, then we wouldn't be experiencing conflict and anxiety and insecurity and war in our relationships, but instead we'd be experiencing peace because they're working right. And then to get a little bit more personal and inward focused, if, if I were in the right place in my life, if, if my life was working right, well, I'd be at peace with myself. I'd be at peace with where I was because I'm working right. So obviously, most things aren't working right these days because in most circumstances, there's very little peace in our world, in our relationships, in our lives. And and from my experience over the years, the, the little bit of peace we do experience in this world never lasts long. I mean, in moments of peace, I'm reminded of a very famous movie line from a very old movie. Fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. You have to be really old to know that line, basically. But it's an old famous movie, Betty Davis, if you're Googling it right now, all about Eve. And it's been kept alive, even though it was an old movie, it's been kept alive because almost every famous collage of movie clips includes this in there. I mean, it's a tremendous line because it's great advice for living in this world. Everybody knows you put someone in the center of something because of the way the world is. You better fasten your seatbelts because you're in for a bumpy ride. And here's the fact I think that we all have to acknowledge. Every single person on the planet wants peace. Sometimes we on this side of the globe wonder why people over there don't want peace. And of course, they're wondering why we don't want it. Everyone wants peace. But as we've seen very clearly in the course of our lives, very few ever really find it a true and lasting peace. And the reason for this is simple. We're we're going about it the wrong way. We're looking for it in all the wrong things. You see, too many of us mistakenly believe that peace is found in circumstances. And if you could just change your circumstances, you could find peace. If we could change the circumstances in the Middle East, man, then we, well, let me add it. I can give them peace over there. And of course, you're at war in your own marriage with your 17th wife. And, uh, sure you do a good job in the Middle East. You see, we, and a lot of us in our marriages, in our relationships, we think, you know, if I could just change the circumstances of my marriage, like if I could change him or her, or just exchange them in for someone else, then I'd have peace. But, but we're mistaken to believe that peace is found in circumstances. And yet this is how we pursue it, because we're so desperate for it, because we so desperately want it. We we invest all of our resources and all of our life and all of our dreams and all of our goals and all of our energies in, in pursuing peace by, 
by creating new circumstances, by changing our circumstances. And sadly, the result is predictable. It's, it's not, even up, not even up for grabs. You just, you're just going to experience more personal conflict. You're going to experience more personal anxiety, but that's not the way to peace. And there's an ultimate problem that we face in life. Even if circumstances changing could bring peace, which they can't, but even if they could, the ultimate problem is that our circumstances are continually changing. So if you did achieve the perfect set of circumstances, they would change almost immediately. Our circumstances are continually changing, and that forces us to continue to deal with new anxiety and new storms and new challenges, which takes away any of the momentary peace we've had in our lives at all. And we're never going to find more than momentary patches of peace as long as we're looking for it in our circumstances, even though at times it seems like it's worked. Have you ever, like, changed your circumstances, maybe got a new job, and it was like you went, ah, finally I have peace. How long did that last? <laughs> you know, you finally got remarried. You know, how'd the new one do? You know, everything going pretty well with that? Perfect peace. No. I mean, we're going to experience momentary patches of peace when circumstances change, but, but it's not really giving us peace. It's just changing our anxiety a little bit. It's shuffling it around. And you say, no, no, I think if I change these circumstances, it works. But no. Look, at, get this truth. This is a hard rock foundational truth that everyone should know. Even a broken clock gets the time right twice a day. There should be a little bit of wave coming now. There you go. <laughs> Just because once in a while a clock tells the right time doesn't mean it's working. The same thing with our behavioral patterns. It doesn't work. In fact, let me give you another one because I'm really into deep thoughts right now. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while, right? I mean, that's just how it works. But, but this is really the reality with peace. We can experience peace once in a while when everything in our world aligns perfectly and our mood is just right and we've had just enough to eat so we're not hangry. In, in that moment, we might find peace, but it never lasts. Whatever our circumstances, if we're still not working right, we still won't find lasting peace. Which brings me to the truth that it's so important in a world that's desperate for peace and people who are so desperate for peace that, that we need to have it and yet so few of us ever really buy this. And the truth is that true and lasting peace is only found in God. It's the only place it's found. Not in religion, not in tradition, in God. You see, God's peace has nothing to do with circumstances. It's experienced regardless of circumstances. You, you can experience God's peace in the midst of life's greatest storm, whereas you can experience the greatest conflict in the midst of your most peaceful moments. God's peace transcends circumstances. Jesus made this really clear. Look at John chapter 14, verse 27, and... He says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. By the way, how does the world give? Temporarily. 
says, I don't give you peace like the world gives. No, it's not temporary. It's not inspired by, by weird moments that soon pass, but I'm leaving it to you right now in the world as it is. Don't let your hearts be troubled and don't be afraid. And this, this promise of Jesus really comes alive when you understand the context of where he gave it. And most people don't. You look at that verse and say, yeah, oh, yeah, right. But in the context, it's, it's John 14. And so in John 13, you need to know that Jesus started disrupting everything in the disciples' world. These people, these people started following him. They gave up everything in their lives, committed everything to following him, gave up everything to move. And in John 13, you know what he says? He goes, by the way, thought you should know, I'm taking off, won't be coming back for a while. They go, what? And they start really, they go, we can come with you right now, no, not right now, not really. Where are you going? Well, where I'm going, you really can't come. And it threw their whole world out of whack because their whole world was him now. They had given up everything for him. And then he kept going further. In John 14, he says, by the way, not, you know, not only am I taking off, but I, I need you to know that one of you, 12, he was talking to the 12, one of you is, is going to betray me. One of your closest friends is going to turn out to be a traitor, turn out to be a turncoat. As a result, I'm going to suffer and die, and I'm going to take off, and this betrayer is among you. He's one of you, and it's, I just disrupted them, and they're asking all kinds of questions. And then, and then it didn't stop there, John 14. You know what he does? He, he turns to Peter. Peter's the, the well-known guy, right? Peter's the dude, and he says, Peter, I just need you to know you're going to deny me three times you know, before the rooster crows. And he goes, no, I'm not. These losers here might, but I'd never do it. He really said this, by the way. <laughs> he said, I'd die before I'd, you know, deny you. I'm not, and Jesus goes, no, buddy, I'm sorry. Your world's going to turn upside. You're going to deny me three times. Trust me, and then you're not going to be able to find me. I'm going to be gone. And their whole world was upside. I mean, he turned everything upside down. And then, and then right then, right then, he said, my peace I'm giving to you, dudes. Peace out. You know, that's really kind of what he was saying. Don't let your hearts be troubled. I know life's really crashing around you right now, but don't, don't be afraid of that stuff because I'm giving you peace. And if we try to understand peace the way we try and work it into the world, this doesn't work. But he could say it in this horrible moment in their lives because his peace did not depend upon their circumstances being right. His peace simply depended upon them knowing him because peace is his name. Here's the fact, as with all of our other needs in life, God has a name for peace. Yahweh Shalom, in the Old Testament in particular, one of the most important words, Shalom, peace. And he says, I know you live in a world of turbulence. I know you live in a world without peace. I know you're desperate for it, and you're looking for it in all the wrong ways, but it doesn't last. But you need to know, you know that need you have for peace? Peace is my name. I'm Yahweh Shalom. I am the God of peace. Jesus made the declaration that he was God in so many different ways, but nowhere more specifically than in John 16, 33. Look what he says. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You know what he's saying? It's my name. In this world, you're going to have trouble. It's a guarantee. I just told you, you're going to betrayal, denial, I'm taking off, life's going to get hard. But in the world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome the world. In me, you can have peace. This is really important because I'm telling you, as a human being, I'm scratching away and wrestling to try and find peace, and I'm doing it in all the wrong ways. And, 
and I've been a pastor a long time and I'm watching you do the same thing. We're trying to do it in every context of our lives and it doesn't work. His name is peace. You're looking for him when you're looking for peace. You're looking for him. Not new circumstances, him. Now in order to get us there, I, I don't know about you, but I learn best through questions and trying to find the answers to questions. And in this one in particular, I think there are two tremendously important questions that have to be asked and answered if we're going to be able to weave the fabric of who he is into our lives and experience peace. And the first question is, why is this world filled with trouble in the first place? A lot of people have a whole hard time with the God thing because of all the trouble in the world, the difficulties in the world. So hard. If God was real, why would the world be so filled with trouble? Why, why is it so hard to find peace if he's peace? I just don't get it. And the answer is clearly given to us by God, but we just haven't really heard it. Why is this world so filled with trouble? Well, there are a lot of reasons. Let me just look at a few really important principles to answer. The first is because we live in a fallen world. We, we live in a broken, messed up world. It's not working right, and when something's not working right, there's no peace. Remember the whole introduction, if the world was working right, there'd be peace. But it can, it's broken. Romans 5.12, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death, destruction, devastation, darkness, entered through that sin, in the same way, death has come to all of us, all men, because all have sinned. The world is broken. Can't know peace. But it gets worse than that because not only is the world broken and not working right, but, but there's this enemy, Satan, who is constantly seeking to destroy. And, and I know... <laughs> Just even to say the name Satan with any kind of conviction about its reality, people in our world, they go, gosh, the guy believes in Satan? I do. Jesus did. And because you don't is why he keeps winning in your life. You can't defeat an enemy you don't even believe in. Satan is constantly seeking to destroy and Jesus, the one who came and died and rose again, spoke clearly about his reality, and Satan's whole intent is to initiate conflict in our life. Why is there always trouble? Because he's always trying to initiate conflict. In a moment of peace, he's going to try and initiate war. It's his whole deal. Look what Jesus said in John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. That's all he's trying to do. No wonder the world's so filled with trouble. 1 Peter 5.8, Peter who denied Jesus three times, Peter who was a part of the agony when Jesus was announcing that he was giving peace, when he realized what he had done, he realized what he had missed and he was writing to advise us. And look what he says in 1 Peter 5.8, be self-controlled and stay awake. Don't go to sleep and be stupid like me, but, but be alert because your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. It's his business. Have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? I know it doesn't sound like it relates to absolutely anything, kind of like I've got ADD. Hey, look, a bird, you know, but that's not what this is about, really. <laughs> have you ever watched the Discovery Channel? Any of you? I'm just curious. Okay, some of you have. Some sweet 
innocent animal experiencing a beautiful and tranquil moment in the meadows of some beautiful continent with the sun setting far away, we wishing that we could go on a safari with a camera to enjoy this beautiful moment of creation. And then all of a sudden, in an instant, out of nowhere, a lion pounces and eats the guts right out of them. Now this is good television right there. Unbelievable. In a moment, they're gone. Tranquility gone. Someone should have warned that little animal to buckle their seatbelts because it was going to be a bumpy night. You know, I mean, seriously. Guess he didn't watch the movies. This is simply a picture of our lives with our enemy. Having a moment of tranquility, enjoying the beauty of life, thinking everything's great, forgetting that there's an enemy trying to destroy. Why is this world so filled with trouble? Why is it so hard to find peace? Because we have a broken world all around us and an en enemy trying to keep it as broken as possible. And it, it gets worse because not only is our world broken and messed up and an enemy always attacking, but we are all individually flawed. It's, it's really funny when I say stuff like this. It's, you know, I... I don't know if you know this, but I can actually see you when I'm on platform talking. And, and usually while I'm talking and everything, you know, people look around and they're enjoying each other. And then when I say stuff like, we are all individually flawed, everybody just looks straight ahead. They don't want eye contact with anybody. We're all broken. We're all messed up. None of us are working right. And because we're not working right, peace doesn't come naturally to us because Broken things don't experience completion and peace. Romans 3.23 tells us we're messed up. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We were created to be in the image of God, to know his peace. That's his name, but we've fallen short. We've, we're broken. Proverbs 14.12 is really a commentary on my life. There is a way that seems right to a person, but in the end it leads to death. I've just had a profound gift ever since I've been on this planet of being able to make the perfectly wrong choice in any given opportunity. Have, have any of you that gift? Some of you are shaking your head, I love your honesty. The rest of you, not only are you broken, but you're self-deluded as well. I mean, you think you're making good choices. We're all individually flawed. The bad news is that we can count on trouble in this world and turbulence. There's no way to get around it. But the good news is, in the midst of the broken world with an enemy attacking and our own individual brokenness, is God, whose name is Yahweh Shalom, I am the God of peace. And we can know him and it. Which leads me to the second question which is how can we experience the peace of God? I mean, if we're in a broken world and have an enemy and we're broken, how, how can we experience the peace of God? How can his name become our experience? And that's really what the story of Jesus is about, the story of the Bible is about in the end. If we're going to experience the peace of God, it, it starts with learning to trust God. I mean, we have to learn to trust God. I mean, anyone who lives right 
lives by faith, by trusting God. Here we are in a broken world that's not working right, but think about it. He's not broken, which means he is working right, which means if we start trusting him, instead of trusting ourselves, we can start actually experiencing peace, which is something only he has access to. It's his name. Isaiah 26, verses 3 and 4 says, You will keep him, speaking of God, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is steadfast, focused on you, because that person is trusting in you. When you trust in him whose name is peace, you can experience what he alone is, peace. You're focused on peace instead of turbulence, instead of brokenness, you're focused on righteousness and It says, so trust in the Lord forever. Come on, make the intelligent choice. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord, the Lord, he is the rock eternal. Proverbs 3, 5 puts it kind of on the bottom shelf practically for us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's where you'll find peace. Don't lean on your own understanding. That is so good. Stop leaning on your broken understanding and start just trusting that he's right. That's when you'll start experiencing some peace. And for most of us, me included, I mean, I'm big time in this. Basically, whatever your problem is, multiply it a couple times, and I probably am dealing with it, all right, by that number. But the most difficult thing about trusting God and experiencing his peace in this world is found in that last part of Proverbs 3, 5. We have a difficult time trusting God because we don't understand him. We felt, we feel like if we had better explanations if God revealed himself more clearly to us and revealed the whys and the wherefores, if if he explained so that we could understand, then we'd have peace because we understand. Isn't that how we feel? It's how we feel. But I just, I need to tell you that the reality is, please hear me, understanding doesn't bring peace. It doesn't. Oh, if I could just understand more, I'd have peace, trust him. No, you wouldn't, because understanding doesn't bring peace. Think about it. As an adult, I understand a lot of things that I didn't understand as a child. But I don't have more peace. I have less peace. So I understand more about life. I I can even explain a bunch of life, but... I don't have more peace, I have less. Understanding doesn't bring peace. Here's the deal. As a child, I trusted my parents even though I didn't understand. And you might say you were innocent, naive, and it's true. That's what children are. But I, I trusted my parents even though I didn't understand. And you know what it resulted in? Peace. As a kid, I had wonderful parents. Not perfect, but wonderful. And I I tell you, I trusted them. I had peace. I didn't have to worry about all the fights my parents had to fight and all the challenges my parents had to face. And I didn't have to worry about all the burdens my parents had to burden themselves with. All I had to do is trust them and I had peace. I could go about my happy-go-lucky days with no problems because I was trusting my parents. I didn't understand flipping anything. But because I trusted them, I had peace. Of course, parents aren't perfect. All parents blow it sometimes. 
Some parents blow it a lot, and so trusting parents doesn't always result in less conflict and more peace in life for kids. I happen to have a, a good setting growing up. Truth is, some of us have a hard time trusting anyone as adults because of the trust that was broken in our lives as kids. I get it. And so trusting with the innocence and naivety of a child, people who really aren't good sources for trust can wound us and can hurt us. And though we have peace for a moment, then it's robbed for a lifetime, right? That's true. But you just need to know God is different than our human parents, than the adults that we've encountered in life. God's perfect. God never blows it. The simple reality is that like a child with a parent, we need to learn to trust God whether we understand what's going on or not. And that's not being naive. It's being strategic and smart. This is exactly what Jesus taught us we should do in Luke 18, 17 when he said, truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. You see, God's peace can be experienced even in a broken and messed up world when we begin trusting him like a child, even when we don't understand. It's the only way we'll ever experience peace. So I thought it'd be good to share just a couple of the keys, principles for learning to trust God before I give you a couple more points of application. And I mean, how can I learn to trust him so that I can experience his peace? Well, I have to start if I'm going to trust him, I have to start saturating myself with God's word. We have to be saturating ourselves with God's word. Here's, here's what I have found. Because I'm broken, the way I think is broken. Because the world is broken, what I've experienced in the world is broken, and so what I think in the world is broken. Because of the attacks of the enemy, very often I'm being deceived about things, and all of my thinking's messed up, and which rules me with anxiety and conflict and all that. But, but God thinks differently. And when I get into his word and I start understanding how he thinks, it starts reshaping how I think. In fact, look at Romans 10, 17. Consequently, faith, the ability to trust God, even when we don't understand, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. When you open yourself up to God's word, you start saying, oh, so that's how the world's supposed to work. So that's when the world's working right. So that's what God does, and we start growing in our trust. And it happens time and time again. Read the story of Abraham. Everything was going wrong in Abraham's life, and yet because he walked with God, and when he walked with God, what did he have? Peace. How did life turn out for Abraham? A lot of crap happened in his life, but you know how it ultimately turned out? He walked with God. Same thing with Joseph. I mean, bad stuff came down for Joseph. I mean, it's, you know, when your brothers sell you into slavery, you know things aren't probably going very well in your world. And then being faithful to God, he was thrown in prison. And then he was forgotten forever in there. And what did he do? He kept trusting God, even though he didn't understand. And what happened? He became the prime minister of Egypt, something he could have never done. It was impossible. And he became the source of salvation for all of God's people. And it all happened because God knows what he's doing. And if we'll trust him, even when we don't understand, we can experience his peace, even in the midst of the storm. But saturating ourselves with God's word, we start seeing it and, oh, we start growing in trust. But it goes beyond that because then we have to make applications. If we're going to grow in trust for God, we have to start turning our worries into prayers of gratitude. 
mean worries, those things that are opposite of peace, anxieties, and all that junk. What we have to do, instead of turning our prayers into expressions of bitterness and anger and disappointment and betrayal and forget you and why would I ever follow you and whining and all the things we do, right? Isn't this what we do with God? Instead of doing that, we're supposed to turn our worries into prayers of gratitude. I really hate this principle, just so you know. I mean, I need to say it right up front. It's like, when I don't like what's happening, I love to whine about it. But look at Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything. In everything, even all the junk, by prayer and petition, with gratitude, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And, and look at when you turn your worries into prayers of gratitude, the peace of God, the peace of God, transcends all your understanding and starts guarding your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's how we learn to trust him. And one last way we learn to trust him is by experiencing his faithfulness. We need to experience God's faithfulness. You know, until you experience someone's faithfulness, you can't really trust them very well, right? It's like slow steps. We have to start experiencing him providing where there was no provision. We have to start experiencing him protect us in a world where we're so unprotected. And a good example of this is seen in my, my son, Blake, not now, but when he was a kid. One of the cutest little kids, man. And he was probably about one, not even maybe. And uh, we were visiting my parents who had a pool down in Florida. Yeah, for some reason, God cursed us in the winter, but my parents were in Florida and we got to visit them once in a while. And we were in a pool and I, he was a little kid, I'm his dad, and I, I, he's on the edge of the pool wearing his Speedo, I mean his diaper, I'm sorry. And, uh, <laughs> and I'd, I'd ask him to come to me and he wouldn't. In fact, it was really, I mean, we have a video of this. It was cute. He'd, He'd be there, and every time I'd come closer to the edge, he'd scoot his chair back another foot. And he'd scoot his chair back, and he'd never do it. But finally, I was able to get him to come to the edge, and I, I just grabbed him and brought him in the pool. And then eventually, because he experienced that, he started, like, tilting in and letting me catch him. And eventually, he started leaping in and letting me catch him. And eventually, with no fear of anything, he would leap as far as he could and let daddy catch him because he knew his daddy could be trusted. I wouldn't let him drown and it would be fun. And he wanted to leap. But you know, many of us have never experienced God's faithfulness and so we keep scooting our chair further and further and further away from God. If we're gonna grow in trust, we have to start experiencing it. This is what David said. Look at David in Psalm 37, 25. This is after he had experienced a lifetime of God's faithfulness. He says, I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. I've never seen God break a promise. In other places, he goes, I've broken my promise to God and it's messed my life up significantly, but in all my life, I've never seen God break a promise. And when you start experiencing his faithfulness, you start walking towards him instead of away from him. You start leaping into the pool instead of scooting further, further back. And remember, if you're going to experience peace, which is God's name, you need to learn to trust him. But it goes beyond that. If we're going to experience the peace of God, then we also have to learn to apply specifically our trust, which means we have to learn to accept what we cannot change. We have to learn to accept it. If, if Joseph in prison hadn't accepted, he would have rejected God and been bitter and angry, but he said, he goes, God, you're in control of this stuff, and I don't understand it at all, but I'm going to keep trusting you. I, 
I'm going to accept what I cannot change, believing that you'll get me where I need to go. It's exactly right. Look at how Paul said it in Philippians 4, 11, and 13. I have learned to be content at peace, whatever my circumstances. Don't need a new job, don't need a new spouse, don't need new kids. I, I can be content in whatever my circumstances. I know what it is to be impoverished in need. I know what it is to have plenty, to be prosperous. I've, I've learned the secret of being at peace, content in any and every situation, whether I'm well-fed or hungry, living in plenty or in want. And then he gives the secret, I can do everything through him whose name is peace, who gives me strength. If we're going to accept what cannot be changed so that we can experience God's peace, it takes his power, he strengthens us, it takes our choice, depending on him, trusting him. Unfortunately, in the face of all of life's difficulties and in the face of all of life's circumstances that are out of control, we tend to choose two extremes. We either give up or we try harder to control. Neither works. What we have to do is we have to submit ourselves to God's all-knowing control. We don't give up. We don't try and control. We trust and submit to where God's leading if we're going to experience his peace, we must learn to submit our lives to his all-knowing control. Look at what Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, verses 9 and 10. This, then, is how you should pray. Your kingdom come, not mine. Your will be done, not mine, on earth that is as it is in heaven. We think peace will come when our kingdom comes and when our will is done, but that's when more brokenness comes. We have to start submitting ourselves to his all-knowing control. And you know what becomes easy? When you know what his desire is for you? When, when Blake really started believing, my dad wants me to have a blast and be safe and wants to spend time with me, but he had no problem trusting me. Do you know what God wants for you? Look at Jeremiah 29, 11. He says it straight up. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. You want to know what I want for you? My plans are to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And this doesn't mean all your circumstances will be right because you live in a broken world with an enemy and you're broken yourself. Your circumstances won't always be right, but he'll always be right. And him and you can make the greatest storm, the place you'd rather be than the greatest paradise of an island at war with yourself and the world. His name is peace. There is one final note. If we're really going to, in this world of trouble, experience the peace of God, then, then we have to understand something about how to access it. And I, I want to show you a verse, and then I'll give you the final note. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 1. It says, Since we have been justified... Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justified throws people off. No one really knows what it means. What's that mean? Ooh, that's the Bible. Sounds great. But the word justified means that we have been declared to be not guilty, declared to be innocent, declared to be righteous. Though not deserving to be God's children, we are declared to be God's children. How? By faith in Jesus Christ. It's a legal declaration. We go from guilty to innocent. And how does Jesus make that possible? How does trusting him? Because Jesus took all the consequences of our sin and brokenness and death on himself, though he had never sinned on that cross. He paid the price. 
And then he rose again so that God could declare us innocent because Jesus already suffered the payment for our guilt. And so we can, by faith in Jesus, no longer be living in guilt and shame and isolation from God, but we can be living as his children, walking with him. Because of Jesus, we no longer have to be at war with God. We can be at peace with God, and there is the final note. We can never experience the peace of God until we experience peace with God. As long as we're at war, in conflict, separated from, enemies with, the one whose name is peace, we will never know what only he can provide. But once we experience peace with him, which comes only by trusting Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, then, as his children, he pours out in our lives what he is, peace. But it starts with knowing him. It starts with trusting him. Can I ask you, are you? Have you? Do you know peace with God? Because that's the starting place to experience the peace of God. And before I finish the talk and give you the last thought, I'm going to ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. Would you do that? At our regional campuses all around the world where you're live streaming with us here at Plymouth. If you just bow, if you're here and you're going... Man, I need peace. But I know that I don't even have a relationship with God. Why don't you pray with me? And by faith, let Jesus declare you to be right with God, to have peace with God. Just take my words and make them yours. Say, Jesus, I believe that you, when you died on that cross, were suffering the consequences of my brokenness, my sin. And when you rose, it was so that you could give me the new life. And so I'm confessing my sin and putting my trust in you, and I'm asking you to give me peace with God so I can know the peace of God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you, if you just prayed with me, please, before I you know, give you the last thought, I, would you let us know? We've put together information about next steps you can take in your relationship with God, but to get it to you, we need to know you prayed with me or you want it. And to do that, in, if you're in one of our live services, you just take out the program you were handed and rip out the connection card, tells you what to do, and there are boxes at every single exit. Just throw it in there and we'll send you that information. And if you're watching online, just hit the what next button, we'll do the same thing for you. But we have found that a lot of times after services like this, people have questions or want someone to pray with them or pray for them and we have a prayer team in all of our campuses after the service they'll be down front and all you have to do is come forward they'd love to connect with you and spend time with you but in conclusion I, I, I just want to repeat the truth true and lasting peace only comes from God it's his name and so if you're looking for peace in your life you need to know it has nothing to do with your circumstances good or bad it has everything to do with your relationship with him. And so my prayer is, in the midst of this broken world, with the enemy that's attacking and our own brokenness, we'll just learn to trust him, whose name is peace, so we can experience it. Just before I say goodbye to you, I'm actually going to 
hand off right now for an announcement about Easter to our campus pastors. So at Northridge Grosseal, Northridge Celine, Northridge Brighton, so thankful you're a part of the Northridge family. I'm going to hand it right now to your campus pastor. And here in Plymouth, I'm going to give you the announcement because, well, let's see, I'm your campus pastor. Maybe that would be the reason. Um, and I, I really just want you to know, Easter's only three weeks away. It really is. And I know many of you have already been thinking about it. We've been preparing for it for a long time. The Easter services that we're putting together are, are really potentially transformative experiences for a ton of people. And here in Plymouth, you might be new to us, you might not know, we're having 11 Easter weekend services. So we're having four on Friday, five on Saturday, two on Sunday. I will then die and hopefully raise from the dead. And um, <laughs> it, it's a... Uh, but so, here's the thing. The only thing that will make 11 services worth it is if those 11 services are filled with people who need to hear about the hope of Jesus. And the only way that happens is if we invite everyone in our sphere of influence to come in. And Easter's a time, you'd be surprised, that people are receptive to an invitation. And, and I promise you, we won't embarrass you and we'll provide a service opportunity that can transform your friends if you invite them in. And hope you'll try Good Friday services and Saturday services and the Sunday services, but really be praying for them, be inviting people in. Be looking for our billboards, our mailers are going to go out. Everything we're going to do is to support your invitation, but until you invite them, they won't come. And remember, they too need peace. It's his name, so why not invite them to know him? So glad you were here. We'll see you next time. Be angry, oh.